Well, one of the uh, blessings that I have being a pastor shepherd is uh, I get a chance to meet with couples that are moving towards marriage, and that's probably one of the, my most favorite things to do, is to walk with a couple towards marriage. And I love the meeting that I have with them, where we get a chance to sit down and, and get to plan the, the wedding ceremony. Uh, that's always a fun meeting, um, because it's an opportunity to, to see really what's in the heart of um, the, the couple, and to see really how uh, they want to express their marriage and this covenant that they're entering into uh, before a bunch of people. So I, I love that because it tells some, some people that I've met with, they, they want it to be a real celebratory time where there's lots of jokes and there's lots of, like the, the grooms will, the groomsmen will do something funny to the groom or something like that. Or uh, there's times in which some of the couples, they, they want it to be very solemn and very, very serious. There was one couple that I met that uh, even in the ceremony itself, they said, we just want to get this over as much as soon as possible. So can you make the wedding ceremony like under 10 minutes? I was like, sure. Well, let's do it. So it took us seven minutes. Seven minutes was the fastest wedding ceremony that I ever officiated. And then there was another couple that I met one time and they're like, hey, we want you to preach. Can you like preach the word, like a full-on sermon in, in this whole wedding thing? And so that service took like an hour and a half and everyone in the crowd was like dying they wanted to go home (laughs) I was tired but it's what they wanted and so I I was much obliged to them and you know it's it's funny you know weddings can have different elements in them they can they can look different Uh, but really it's it's a it's a opportunity for a covenant between the husband and the wife it's their covenant that they're entering into in the sight of God and in the presence of the people and so it's an opportunity for them to choose what they want and how they want that to be displayed. But in all, you know, there are some things, if you take a look at most wedding ceremonies, there are typically some elements that uh, are continued throughout. Uh, For example, there's normally a procession. Usually there's a a time in which the bride will come down the center aisle or the side aisle or whatever. There'll be a a procession. Usually that's a part of it. There's usually a declaration of intent where both uh, the, the man and the woman say, I am today intending to be married. That's why I'm here. Sometimes there's a giving away of the bride, where the, the father of the bride or someone that's loved by the bride actually says, okay, now we're, we're symbolically giving you away to be joined to this man. Usually there's exchanging of vows. This is more typical. Uh, this is probably one of the most common things that are done in a wedding is where the vows of the marriage are, are exchanged, where they enter into the husband and the wife. They, they give their words of saying, I promise to do this. I promise to do that. Then there's giving of rings. Uh, lots of times there's exchanging of rings or exchanging of a gift. Um, I normally give a charge to both the husband and to the wife. I usually tell them, hey, this is your responsibility. This is what uh, you, you should expect your spouse to do, and this is what you should expect yourself to do. Then there's a, pr- a, a pronouncement where you finally say, now I pronounce you husband and wife. That's one of my favorite parts of the service. And then there's usually a recession uh, where everyone goes out, and then people do that a lot of different ways. Some people dance out. Some people, I don't know, they do a bunch of different things. But by the time the recession happens... That covenant of marriage has been confirmed. Somewhere during that, that, that service, God has provided and, and performed an amazing miracle where he takes two separate people and he joins them together in this thing called marriage. 
And so it's at that moment, as, as that, that couple is leaving, it's at that moment that they begin to take their first steps in what is known as a marriage. They're, they're married now. Before that, they weren't. They were engaged or something else. But they begin to take their first steps of being married. And I share all that because I, I think that gives us a good backdrop as we, we come to Exodus chapter 24 today, where God is going to take this as, as an opportunity. At the side of this Mount Sinai, he is going to confirm the covenant that he's been talking with his people about for the several, past few weeks that we've been walking through. And I think as we look at uh, Exodus chapter 24, we're going to see that there are certain elements of this covenant as it's being confirmed. God allows himself and his people, he walks them through certain things as they confirm this covenant. So I want us to look at the activities of this confirmation. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 24. Exodus chapter 24, and as, as you're turning there, I'll remind you where we've been. We see in the book of Exodus that, that God has pursued his people. God, he finds them at the beginning of Exodus in slavery, not as though he didn't know where they were, but they were in slavery, and God says, I am going to rescue you. So he, over time, he rescues them out of the hands of the Egyptians and through slavery. And he, he rescues them, and then he cares for them, he leads them. And he provides for them as they are walking through the wilderness. God gives them water. God gives them food. God gives them protection. God gives them direction. And God shows that he is a caring, loving God for the nation of Israel. He has been faithful to them. They have witnessed and experienced his faithfulness. He also has spoken to them and given them the law, given them the opportunity to know this is what is required. This is what I will do. This is what you should do. And now it's time for this covenant to be confirmed. Look with me in verses 1 and 2. What we're going to see here is one of the elements of this confirmation is worship. Worship is the primary activity of entering into this covenant. Look with me in verses 1 and 2 and and then 9 and 10. So verse 1 and 2. Then he said to Moses, he says, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, And 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the Lord shall not, and the people shall not come up with him. Skip on down to verse 9. Then Moses and Aaron and Dab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel there under his feet, as it were a pavement of sapphire stones, like the very heaven for clearness. I want us to see that. The primary activity of entering into this covenant is worship. And both as they are entering into worship, as we see this, we see both the grace of God and the holiness of God connecting in a very beautiful way. As God is opening the doors for worship, we see the grace of God. The grace of God has been all throughout the book of Exodus. As God, through his love, sees all men in in their rebellion against God. These these people, this nation of Israel is made up of a bunch of people that in their very hearts and in their activities has shown rebellion against the God of the universe. But we see that this God of the universe has continued to come close to them even in their rebellion. God's love, his mercy, and his grace has fallen on these people. 
And now we see before, in just a chapter before, two chapters before, we see that God, when he first showed up on the mountain, he says, only Moses is allowed to approach. Anyone else that approaches or touches this mountain will surely die. They will be put to death. But now we see what God is doing because he's continually revealing more of his grace and his, his perfection and his mercy. He's inviting more to come close. He says, Moses, not only you're allowed to come close, but Aaron and your sons, they're allowed to come closer. They're allowed to approach God in a, in a new, newer way and be able to see him in a newer way. Not only uh, Moses and Aaron and his sons, but also these 70 elders. So we see the grace of God. But we also see the holiness of God. Because of man's sin, There is still a barrier between God and man. There always will be a barrier when there is sin. And when sin is present, there always will be a barrier. So there was need for a mediator. Up to this point, Moses has been the only mediator that they've had. Moses is the only one that has heard the voice of God and communicated the voice of God to the people. He's been the go-through. He has been the one in which... Uh, has given the words of God. But now, God, is, as he's revealing his plan, again, he's bringing, drawing men closer so they can see. I imagine, or I love the, the fact that these men were able to see God in a way that no one else was. In verse 9, they, they go to him and the elders went up and they saw the God of Israel and they're under his feet was a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. Like, I can't imagine what that looks like, but I must imagine it was beautiful, and it was glorious, and it wasn't something that was scary. It wasn't awesome, like God coming down on the mountain in fire, but it was worshipful. But we also see that there's distinction, because not everyone in Israel was able to see God in that way. There was a whole nation of people that were at the base of the mountain on that day that were outside of having the opportunity to see God in that way. And I can just imagine myself, if I was someone, if I was just a regular guy that was at the bottom of the mountain, I might actually get kind of mad. Like, why, why, is it that, why is it that they get to go and I don't? Why is it that they get connecting to God in this way and they get to see him in that way and I don't? I think if that was their disposition, if if I was there, I would see myself, but I would see myself missing the greater thing and the fact that God is still even gracious because I'm not, I am an Israelite. I'm not outside. So God has drawn them close. God has brought all the people close, but we see these distinctions that he continues to set up. Moses is able to, to approach God with confidence, knowing that God hears him. So he's able to approach. We see that Aaron and his sons are able to come this closer, but they're not able to go that far. But there's a distinction. There's a lane in which they can come. And these 70 elders are allowed to come close too, but they can't go as far as Moses. And the people of God, they have to stay away. That must be frustrating to know that there's distinctions to having access to God. So we see the holiness of God makes it necessary for there to be different layers. But we see the grace of God because he allows for it. Secondly, I want us to see, so not only is it entered in through worship, I want us to see that there is an acceptance on both parties towards this covenant. Look with me in verse 3. 
So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all of the rules. So basically what's happening is Moses again proclaims to them the Ten Commandments, those that we looked at previously. He says, these are the rules. This is the law of the Lord. And look how the people respond. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. They wholeheartedly said, this is what we want They were in one voice, in one mind, all together. They said, yes, God, we want you in this way. And we will do what is required of us. But then on verse verse 7, you move on down. And then he says, Moses took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said again, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Now, remember last week we made a distinction about the, the law and the book of the covenant. Remember, the the law was God saying, these are the overarching principles of your life and in your relationship with me. These are the things, these are the ways in which you live. And then the book of the covenant was more of the specific practices of those overarching uh, laws that interjected it in their lives on a daily basis. And so Moses reads both of them and the people wholeheartedly accept them. They want not only the overarching principles, but they want the practices and they want the presence of God and they they want to be near God and they want to have fellowship with God, which is really the deepest desire of each one of our souls, is to be in fellowship with our creator. That is what God has placed inside of us when he created us. He created in us a space for him and him alone. And these people... The people of Israel say, yes, we want that. And so they accept it. And we also know in their acceptance, they know now that they are, there's no excuse for them. The people cannot say, God, we did not know what you required of us. God, we did not know how you wanted us to live. God, we we did this on accident. They're completely without excuse because they have both heard the law and they have accepted the law. So we see that as being another element through the accepting of the covenant. But what else takes place in this confirming of the covenant? There's an institution of the offerings. Look with me in verses 4 through 8. It says, And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men to the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in a basin, and half the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of covenant and read it in all the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all of these words." So while confirming this covenant, God allows through Moses to institute the offerings that God laid out in the book of covenants. Remember last week as we were looking at the book of covenants? He says there there are two offerings that you are to make. There is an offering that is a burnt offerings. And then there are peace offerings. There are two types of offerings that you're supposed to do. And now he said he talked about them and now they get a chance to begin to do and participate in them. The burnt offering was an offering that was given unto God to be an atonement for the sin of the people. In the the essence of of it, the, the spilling of the blood, the giving of the animals, was the burnt offering to atone for their sin. 
and also showing it was an opportunity for the people to show their commitment to God. And then there was a, a peace offering. The peace offering, in its essence, was used to celebrate fellowship with God. So it was, a, it was an image, it was a reminder that we have fellowship with God. We have closeness, we have a relationship with God. Our sins are atoned for, and we have the ability to have fellowship with God. So how are these offerings made? Well, we see these offerings were made through sacrifice. Again, we see the beautifulness of the holiness of God and the grace of God intertwining together. We know because God has set it up in such a way that sin cannot go unpunished. Because God is just, sin has to be paid for. And the only payment for sin that is effective is death through the shedding of blood. And so God has allowed for these animals to serve as a stand-in for his children. Through the giving of their life, of the animal's life, and through the shedding of their blood, their sins could be forgiven. So I think it's a, it's a reminder that God gave his people. He says, when, when you come and you, you have to bring an ox to be slaughtered, to, to be killed, to be given as one of these offerings, it's a reminder to you that God takes sin very seriously. It's a, it's a reminder that you, you can't just continue on living your life however you want to. But you live your life because you're in fellowship with God. You have to live, you live your life in a way that honors him and pleases him. But you are sinful. And so when you bring that ox, reminded that 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 ox which is yours, now you have to give up. So you have to, to, you have to give something up so that it is, it is killed. That, that ox is going to die and his blood is going to be shed for you. The seriousness of sin and the cost of sin is huge. But forgiveness is needed and forgiveness is provided. So we see the blood of the sacrifice was spilled. We see some of it was placed on the altar as a a way to symbolize Israel's atonement of sin. But then some of the blood was sprinkled on the people. Moses stood there with, with the blood that was from the animals and he sprinkled the people with the blood. Another visual reminder. It's because that blood covered their sin, they now can have fellowship with God. I'm glad it's not like that anymore. I'm, I'm glad we no longer have to, because that would be, like to me, that would be weird. Like for you to, this morning, for us to have to bring forth a, an ox and to spill the blood, this would be a messy place. Like it's a beautiful place. I love all the decorations today. But could you imagine just blood going all over the place? I'm sprinkling it here, sprinkling it there. I'm so glad we don't live at this time. I'm so glad, which we're going to talk about in a minute. I'm so glad that God has taken this covenant and through Christ he's fulfilled this covenant. But I'm so also thankful that God gave this. As God is continuing to reveal more of himself, I'm glad that he shows us pictures of this so that we can see the seriousness of sin. And we see the grace of God. So that's all taking place. So then what, how do they end? How do they solemnize this covenant? The solemnization of the covenant is seen in verse 11. Look with me here. This is like the, one of the favorite verses of Baptists, I believe. 
And it says, and he did not lay his hands on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. How, how, did, how did they celebrate this covenant? They had a feast. They solemnized it through a meal. Usually in the Old Testament, what would take place is when there was an agreement through two parties, what would happen is they would ha- hold a reception or they'd have this, this great feast where the two people that have, have come now into agreement would show their agreement and they would show their fellowship through sharing of a meal. We do the same thing in, with weddings, right? What's the best part about the wedding for the people that come? The reception, Right? Like everyone wants to go to the reception because there's food and there's time where, where now these two families who were once separate now are joined. That's a beautiful thing. And we share it through a meal. Well, we see the same thing happening here. These two parties coming together, God, the God of the universe, coming together with the nation of Israel. And they share a meal to confirm the covenant. You see, it's understood that these burnt offerings, these burnt offerings, the the regulations that God gives, which we can read later on, for these burnt offerings is that those animals that were set up on the offering to do the burnt offering is they were supposed to be burned completely to nothing more than ash. And it's said that in this burnt offering that that is what God consumes in this meal as they're gathering together. So God consumes the burnt offering. He smells that and that is what he eats not literally but figuratively that is is what he consumes during the meal and then through this peace offering you have all of this leftover meat because the the animals there are not completely consumed to ashes but god gives all of that oxen to eat so the people sit and they have this meal before the lord and with each other which totally symbolizes this beautiful picture of fellowship. I know I've shared this before, but I I know in my own family, some of the most meaningful times are spent around a table. Like when you get the whole family together, like when everyone's there and you've got the table, you you have to piece together four tables in your home to fit everyone there. And then there's like this table has a special food and then this one has different food. And you try to pass all the stuff around. There's talking, there's all of this stuff. Like that to me is a beautiful picture of family. Those are times that I relish, those are times that I enjoy. And there are times that not everyone's welcomed at that table. Right? There, there, there's a reason that you're at the table. Your reason you're at that table is because you're a part of the family. And so what God is saying is, is you're a part of the family. And he gives them that opportunity. You can imagine the, the enjoyment of that day. But you know... We don't live in that covenant anymore. God has been in the process throughout history of continuing to reveal himself more and more and more. We, I'm so thankful that God never fully revealed himself at one time to, to all of humanity because I don't think we could take it. If, if God, in the beginning, um, after Adam and Eve fell and he began and he just said, okay, here am all of me, I don't think we'd be able to take it. But I love how God has shown that throughout all of history he's had this plan to redeem humanity and throughout throughout each season throughout each day or throughout each year throughout each time of history god continues to reveal himself in different ways in more and more ways and we live in the time in which he has revealed himself most fully through his son jesus so Jesus came, as we know, to, to, to live a different life, to live in complete fulfillment of the covenant. 
And we see even in this new covenant, there are some things that are very similar which we can enter into. Worship is the primary activity in the new covenant. So that hasn't changed. Just as it was in the old covenant, worship was the primary activity then. Worship is the primary activity now. If you look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, we see this. Paul's writing, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, the primary activity is worship. And it's worship not of just God, it is worship of Jesus. This is the new covenant. The new covenant is all about Jesus it's all about a person who has done an amazing thing. We see here, and I love this, we see the distance to which Jesus came. He went over to be our mediator, to be our priest, to be our king. He came over all of these barriers that we see that were set up at this mountain. Jesus is saying, you no longer need a Moses. You no longer need the Levites. You no longer need the elders to come to God. You need me because he comes there. He comes. He takes on the very form of a man. And so he comes this distance, but then he does the work of living completely and obedient to the law. So he held the book of covenants and held the book or, or, or the Ten Commandments. And he lived completely obedient to them. And through his death on the cross, we see that he provides an opportunity for a relationship with God to be restored. So it is in Jesus and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. You know, in the Old Testament, as we just read, there, were a, there was a need for sacrifices. And we see that Jesus became the sacrifice for us. In Hebrews chapter 9 verses 11 through 14 we read this, but when Christ appeared as the high priest of good things that have come, then though the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from the dead works to serve the living God? So it is through Jesus' broken body and his spilled blood that he becomes the perfection of sacrifice. No longer is there a need to spill the blood of animals because Jesus himself, who was the perfect sacrifice, spilled his blood for us. But that's all good. But you can't enter into this covenant unless there is acceptance. There's a simple passage of scripture that says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone who calls on Jesus' name will be saved. There's no way in which we can enter into a relationship with the God of the universe, have fellowship with God, unless it's through his son. 
It is through the repenting of our sin and placing our faith in Jesus that we can enter into this covenant. But just as in the, in the Old Testament, they shared a meal at the, at, as the end of this confirming of the covenant, Jesus, being the founder of the new covenant, before he goes to the cross, he shares in a fellowship meal with his disciples. We call it the, the Lord's Supper or, or the Last Supper. And it's in this night before Jesus goes to the cross. He's, he, they're, they're celebrating another meal that we've talked about before, which is the Passover meal, which is the, the meal that God gave his people before he rescued them from from Egypt. So they're sharing that meal. I love how God makes all these beautiful connections that sometimes we miss. Um, but he, so in the midst of the sharing of this Passover meal, Jesus has his disciples really close to him in, the, in this upper room. And he says, tonight we're going to have this meal, but I'm also going to give you two things to remember. From this night on, you will participate in the Lord's Supper as a reminder of what is going to happen, that's uh, uh, going to point towards his sacrifice. And he sets it up for us that follow Jesus from that point on. This is something that we are to do to remember Jesus. So during this meal, as he has his disciples close, he pulls out two elements of the meal. First, he takes some bread, and he breaks it, and he gives it to his disciples. He says, guys, this is my body, which is broken for you. This, as you do this, this will be a reminder that I am going to take the penalty of your sin. My body will be broken because of your sin. And so you can have that taken care of. And then he gives them the cup. And he says, this, this cup is to symbolize my spilled blood, which will provide forgiveness for your sin, a wiping away of your sin. So as you do that, be reminded of the fact that you're no longer liable that your sins have been washed away so this is something that he gave his disciples to do but it's also something that he's given us to do in just a few moments we are going to participate in the lord's supper as a way of being reminded that we're not under the old covenant um, but that we have the glorious opportunity to have fellowship with the god of the universe and in a even more meaningful way than the people at the base of the mountain did on that day. Because of what Jesus has done, there is now no distinction. That we, we who believe in Jesus can approach the God of the universe with confidence knowing that he hears, him, hears us. We can come into his presence. We can worship him freely. We can worship him unhindered. We can come to him and we can know the will he has for our lives and we can know him for who he is. So, so what do we do with this today? I, I want to encourage us. Uh, uh, in, in just a moment, we're going to share the Lord's Supper. And one of the things that I, I pray that our minds uh, and our hearts can, can move towards as we celebrate the Lord's Supper today is that we ask God to just allow us to be in awe of him. I mean, it's so easy for us because it's, it, it's, it's easy for us to go through the, the daily routines of life and sometimes miss the awe of God. I mean, to miss the fact that the God who created all things wants to be in a relationship with me. He wants to be in a relationship with you. And we have the benefit of being able to be in awe of God because of what Jesus has done. 
So be in awe of God's grace and mercy. If you're here today, then, then maybe what you need to do is place your faith in Jesus. Maybe you're living your, your life to this point separated from God and you're living outside of his promised protection and love and grace. And maybe today for the first time you realize that Jesus has been calling you. Or maybe what we need to do today is to really come to the place where we take more advantage of the access we have to God. Like, we have access to God. Are we taking full advantage of that? I pray that we do, because now there aren't all these layers that we have to go through. We don't need mediator after mediator after mediator to know God. But God has given us his word so that we can know him. God has given us Christ so we can know the way to him. God has given us his spirit that once we come and and place our faith in him, that spirit indwells us and allows us to understand his word and gives us fellowship in a way that is so deep and so glorious that we can never fully grasp and fully understand. But I pray that we take full advantage of that. Just a moment, I'm, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to give you just an opportunity to quietly reflect as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. I want you to, to during this time, look inwardly and see if there is uh, something in your life that the Spirit's going to bring to your mind that you need to confess. Because the Bible does remind us, before we take the Lord's Supper, we are not to take it in an unworthy manner. And that means if, if, there's, if there's begrudging sin, if there is open rebellion in your life, I encourage you, just confess it before the Lord, before you take. And, and if you're here today, and if you don't know the Lord, what we're going to ask you to do is just allow the, the, the cup and, the, and the, the plate of bread to pass you by. And in that time, I don't want you to sit there and like zone out, but I want to ask you these two things to dwell on. One is, is what is separating you? What is, what is hindering you from believing in Jesus? And second of all, I want you to take that time and look around and see the faces of those that are participating in the Lord's Supper and see how meaningful it is for us. Is that the Bible tells us that, that we take this, this Lord's Supper and what we do is it's not imparting salvation on us. There's, there's nothing magical about these elements that are giving us salvation. These, these elements that we, we use and we take are a reminder of our need and our dependence on Jesus. And so by taking them, we're not only reminding ourselves of our need, but we're also proclaiming to you that we believe in just Jesus. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for your great and good word. Father, we thank you that you throughout time have continued to reveal yourself. Um, But Father, we live in a time and day when you are fully, fully revealed. We There's nothing else that we need to know you. There's no man that we need. There's no further word or revelation from you. We have all that we need in order to know you. And that's good. And so, Father, now as we uh, take a few moments to remember your sacrifice for us, the price that was paid so that we may be reconciled back to you, Father, may... May we do so with grateful hearts. May we do so in humble adoration. And may we do so with a heart of worship. In Jesus' name we pray.